welcome to On The Sideline. This week, I'm joined again by Mr. Mike Moss. Well, last week, we finished part one of our Soccer Mania coverage, which includes some very interesting summer and winter transactions, the Premier League, and those were the only two we talked about, and some of the stuff's on the sidelines. But for this week, we will go even deeper into the 2019-2020 European soccer season, because we'll have Serie A, some La Liga, Bundesliga, and also Aero 2020. And maybe a bit of that, the weird and wacky, the weird and wacky world of Nations League. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. Um, so very, very interesting topic that we uh, that we're covering. That we're covering. First, we have you know last week a lot to talk about summer transactions, winter transactions, winter transactions. But now we're talking about some other league at the same time, and you are also a master of Italian football. So yeah. tell me, what surprised you during the uh, during this season, Serie A season? Um, well, what surprised me was first off Inter's hot start to the season. They started the season off terrifically. Um, they looked like they were going to dethrone Juve at the beginning of the season. Like everyone felt that Conte's Inter could easily get the job done. But then towards the end of the season, they kind of dropped that form. Uh, and they were replaced by a surprise contender, Lazio. Yes. Lazio has always been a solid club, especially defensively in the league. And for them to just kind of swoop in and take as many points as they did, I think their recent form before the season got canceled was four wins and one draw. Um, and so to to see Lazio put themselves in a position where they're only one point behind Juve, um, it was kind of terrific and they're also leading in goal difference because if they do end up drawing with UA at some point if the season if the season resumes they have 11 goal difference higher than UVA so this is a Lazio team that's scoring goals that's not conceding goals and it's winning games and it's uh, fantastic to see um, any another surprise would be Atalanta's performance in the Champions League uh, it's been fantastic it's been a uh, a great thing a lot of a lot of people who don't even watch Serie A have been able to get behind Atalanta. Uh, they play beautiful football. Um, and then also, you know, Juve is just they've been the same old Juve where you know they start the season off slow, they kind of build up momentum, uh, and then they're they're but they they have some inconsistencies both in Champions League and in uh, in, in the Serie A. Um, but I mean the seasons. It's one of the most entertaining seasons I've seen in Serie A in recent memory. So, um, yeah, I say that, that Lazio being second is definitely a big surprise. Yeah, I think no one thought about it because Lazio tends to be a very good, I would say, very top midfield team. Probably the best for the rest at times. Um, probably around the fifth or sixth place around the, the, the Europa League qualification spot. But, never, but they were never the team to challenge for the top spot mm-hmm. or the top four spot at times because there's so many good names. Well, oh, we can also name one of the benefiting factors that the fadeaway in you know in Milan's performance. Roma still hasn't looked their best yet. Oh, and Napoli. Napoli, Napoli has been awful this Napoli, year. Napoli because they finished second last year and then they just dropped down to sixth this year for some reason, mm-hmm. which is a big surprise considering you know how you know how great Napoli was in the past few years. Um, like we remember after Sarri depart the team because Sarri was a huge component to uh, to Napoli's rise, mm-hmm. and then last year they just 
Blue Gravel Blue Gravel and Hawaii finished second. But for this season, it's it just seems everything just really off for the team. Because a team that consistently contending for a champ for the Champions League spot just drop away immediately. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Um Inter Milan, like you said, incredible start to the season. Especially on the back of uh, Romelu Lukaku, a ama brilliant, amazing performance. I think, you know, with a different scenery coming, you know, coming to into Milan, new fresh, new fresh for fresh air. He has did an amazing job, you know, as leading striker for the team, and like, and it kind of reminds me of you know, his his days back in Everton, you know, just a very consistent, a very consistent scorer at mm -hmm. the time. Juventus. Not really the Juventus we know because we do know Juventus tend to be very dominating during mm. the season, um, because in the past, because they haven't been undefeated since probably nearly a decade now, they haven't lost to Syria, and they tend to win very very early, very at least like three two, three or two rounds early than normal, but it just feels really weird because with the recent transactions they have, it it just doesn't seem like. It didn't really click the season. Well, it, it just feels like um, because a majority of the transfers have been freeze, uh, it just it seems like they just haven't built a cohesive unit. They're just trying to get, you know, the best players available for the cheapest numbers. Uh, other than their big signing of DeLitt, um, I haven't, like, just talking this year, obviously Ronaldo was a massive signing. But talking this year, other than the major signing of DeLitt as a replacement in the future for possibly Benucci, as he's more like Benucci, he's not much like Kalini. Kalini is a defensive stalwart. Um, DeLitt isn't progressed that much in his defensive capabilities. But also with the injury of Kalini um, being out for the entire season, it that's been very rough on you, baby, because we've seen where their weaknesses lie mostly, and that's in the defense. Without Kalini, they're they're kind of just wandering around. They're lost. They concede easy goals that shouldn't be conceded, headers, corners, and so I think that's that's kind of drew in what Juve needs to worry about for the future is that once Kalini is done, like he can't he can't be at this top level for much longer. Mm -hmm. um, he's he's aging. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've seen truly what the weaknesses of Juve are. Uh, their midfield, they have they just have so many people in there. Bentancur, uh, Aaron Ramsey, Rabiot, Matuidi, Emre Khan. They have, um, they, they got, they, they moved. Um, and then uh, Emre, yeah. uh, Pjanic. And they just, they can't find which two to three midfielders they want to stick with. They're just moving everyone around. Um and they can't find an identity in the midfield. Mm -hmm. um, because obviously up top you have Ronaldo, you have Dybala, you have Higuain, um, Bernadeschi, who I don't rate very highly, um, Cordrado, Douglas Costa, those guys can all perform um, no matter what kind of positions you put them in, it seemed like. So yeah, they're just kind of lost in the midfield. But yeah, Atlanta, again, amazing performance. Because last year they were a bit of an underdog. And just you know, getting the final Champions League spot last season was a huge success for them, mm -hmm. and seeing them replicating you know, that success this season, you know, this is not a one year off for them. This might be the, this might be the new normal for Serie A to see Atalanta challenging for for the Champions League spots. Mm -hmm. But yeah, now let's talk about your team, Milan. Mm. A very interesting season. Yes. Um, 
Milan is basically my kind of Arsenal in Serie A. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, you know, Milan, a lot of things happening around uh, in, o- in both ownerships and also on court as well. So, can you tell more about it? Um, well, ever since the transition from the past Chinese ownership, uh, which was just awful, they were spending money they didn't have, lots of it, on players who aren't really proven. Um, at least not for what the team needed. I mean, they signed Bonucci, but Bonucci was... He's not a defensive presence that you won't expect. He's better going forwards, and yet they were expecting him to be a lockdown defender. Uh, they signed Higuain for some short term. Um, he didn't prove much. Um, Piontek has been really... He started out the season really disappointing, and he's moved on since uh, after his blow-up season last year. Um, they've just... We have players like Chalanoglu, who wildly inconsistent. They'll give you a good game every once in a while, but uh, Milan's just in a they're in a position where the management has just let them down. Um, they've moved. Le- they let Leonardo leave for some reason to PSG this year. I didn't understand that at all. Um, I think it's more so friction with Gazidis, um, who hasn't really proven anything to me so far, um, but. This it's, the team's just in a weird state. Uh, they're not allowing much time for players to grow. Uh, Lucas Paqueta, they've constantly been rumors of him transferring out, even though he's been here for maybe a year. He's a young guy. He has time to grow and become a solid player. He's shown flashes of it. Um, yeah, it's just it's a team without an identity right now, other than uh, Romagnoli and uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma. Uh, I can't say there's anyone that's really carved out their role. Uh, Rafael Liao, I'm very high rated on him. He just needs more playing time and more time. He's very young. He's a very good player, though. He's He can be exceptional. Um, and then Zlatan coming in, I think, was very beneficial to the club because he's kind of taken on a leadership role I've never mm. seen in Zlatan before, where usually he's very condescending of his teammates. You need to be better in this way, this way. But this has more been a pick pick me up Zlatan where he's you know helped these young guys grow it seems like he's very he's developed a great bond with guys like Theo Hernandez who's been terrific this season um Rafael Liao him and he's formed a great strike partnership with him Castillejo and so I like the way that the team has progressed with Zlatan but it seems like Zlatan's leaving after this year according to all the rumors so mm-hmm. That's unfortunate, but it just kind of shows what the team needs. They need that veteran leadership, but all they're buying are young guys who haven't proven themselves. So, you know, I'm hopeful going forward they'll bring in guys like Thiago Silva, who they've mentioned, but uh, I don't know. With this this management, it seems unlikely. All right. So, very interesting coverage from Serie A. Uh, next, we have La Liga. Very, very interesting season. Um, again, um, the race of the two top horses, the duopoly, Barcelona and Real Madrid. Separate, separated by only two points. Barcelona leading with with fifty eight, mm-hmm. Real Madrid fifty six. So, what do you think about about the season, and how it goes? Um, it's definitely been an interesting season because Barcelona and Real Madrid look nowhere near as dominant. It's as just so up do. and down for them. Yeah, they're just they're inconsistent. Like this is a thing we're seeing with these a lot of these giant clubs, uh, the Juve, the Barca, the Madrid. Um, even PSG um, and Bayern, like they're they're just wildly inconsistent. They've been this year, um, and yeah, like Madrid 
and Barca, neither one of them looked like a team that could easily win this Champions League, which is something you don't often say. Usually, they're clear-cut favorites to at least make the final. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, also Atletico. Really? Uh, off this season? They've been terrible by their standards. They're just like Napoli again, to be honest. Yeah, where they're usually a competitor, and now they're 11 points down from Barcelona. They're sitting in the sixth seed. And they um, might not eat be you know even to call for the Champions League which is a position they have had for so long mm-hmm. and we all know Atletico usually tends to perform really well in the Champions League yes because um, they're one of those teams you just hate to see when you're in the Champions League that's because true because they defensively will shut you out but I think you know them beating out Liverpool uh, correct in the Champions League yes yeah them beating out Liverpool in the Champions League uh, Marcus Llorente had a hell of a game um, I think that you know, if they can put in a solid performance in the Champions League this year, I mean, it's anyone could win this year, given on given the form of some of these top clubs. So, it's all yeah. Also, very interesting. Um, Real Sociedad again, very performing really well, and under probably one of the biggest surprise. Well, not really surprised because he has proven himself to be one of one of the top player in the, in the league now. Mm-hmm. Yes, Martin Odegaard, another very solid season for him, uh, as we talked about last week. And yes, Real Sociedad, not a name that we have we have thought in the past few years. But recently, you know, Sociedad has moved up and then probably one of the best, probably outside of the big three teams in La Liga. Mm-hmm. So, um, very, very interesting. And we might see Real Sociedad making, uh, you know, making a return to the Champions League again next year. Um, and with you know Martin Odegaard, Martin Odegaard might be staying for you know for another year to, to complete it to complete his um, his loan deal with Real Sociedad, they could be a very big surprise next season. Mm-hmm. And given the fact that if they if they keep continuing to to build on their team, keep you know keep uh, building on their young players, it could be it could it could be some it could, sorry it could be somewhat um, rather you know joyful to see you know a team like this uh, going you know going up ladder atletico yeah it, it just doesn't feel like you know it is yeah like they have control they have control of the team anymore because last season they were doing pretty well mm-hmm. they were really challenging barcelona for the uh, for, for the league title and this you know with how felix we we all thought hmm okay they, this team could be good but to be honest the loss of Anton Griezmann also have a big impact into how Atletico performed this season at the same time. Yeah, I think the big difference is Anton Griezmann has had so much time in the system. Uh, he grew into the system, you know, the high work rate striker comes back, gets the ball, and can score goals at any moment. And uh, what we what we noticed with Atletico as the years went on was that they were just relying on Griezmann for so much. Like, the t- his teammates were passive. They were okay with him, like, putting the pressure on him to score all of these goals at, any, at key moments um, and not helping him much. And so that became a problem, uh, I think, is also part of the reason for his leave to Barcelona. And, you know, expecting Joao Felix to come in immediately and fill that same role, it was a bit much, you know, putting a lot of pressure on the young kid. He's, you know, he's played well. He just hasn't had the finished product to bring them the goals. And he just needs a bit more time. Yeah, time is key. Um, a lot of these people are already calling him a busted. That doesn't make sense. He's all. He's obviously showed his talent. He showed it in the preseason when they played against Madrid. Uh, people will say preseason games don't count. Madrid was obviously trying that game, though. They did not want to lose like that to Atletico Madrid. Um, 
and he put in a great performance. He's just that was good for his confidence at the beginning of the season, but I don't know where that confidence has gone in front of goal. So yeah, um, Real Madrid. Oh, um, the first full, you know the first season that Zidane Zidane uh, making a full time making a full time return to the team. Um, good improvements from last season after they basically seemingly broken down s- since uh, the departure of Ronaldo mm-hmm. of the summer before, um, and also beating Barcelona in the El Ca- in the El Clasico, something that is a pretty rare scene to see uh, to see Real Madrid doing mm-hmm. in La Liga. But um, it yeah, it just seems very weird because we tend to see Barcelona and Real Madrid domineering because we all know like. In La Liga, you have to be absolutely consistent to win the title. That happened a few years before in tw- in the twenty thirteen twenty fourteen season when uh, Atletico Atletico astonished you know asta- you know surprisingly took you know taking the title because they were so av- they were so consistent with their form, and that's why they be- that's why they beat they beat you know both Real Madrid both Barcelona who you know had run away with the title for the past few years. Mm-hmm. So you know the key the key is consistency. Which we will come to the next to the next league that we that we are about to talk about. Yes, Bundesliga, mm. a very topsy turvy season for basically every single team. Yes, very. Um, this this season's been a bit unpredictable in the Bundesliga for sure. Um, the rise of Aaron Erling Holland is it's made it's made a very big contribution to this season for Dortmund. Who I feel like that's what they needed. Um, yeah, just a shot in the arm. Yeah, just you know that shot in the arm, that striker who will take you to the promised land when needed at moments. You know, um, he's already proven. You know, he doesn't he doesn't care about how heavy the game is. Uh, when they played in the Champions League against PSG, he was fantastic, uh, and I think it's a bit uh, disappointing of PSG to have mocked. A teenager who was giving them the work, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you know, teams. W- w- what we're seeing is an established top three, but also you know, Mucin Gladbach is in the chase. Uh, which they was were leading. They were leading at first the season. Yeah. They uh, they started the season off well. They've dropped form a bit, but they're they're still you know, they're still in the competition. And um, depending on how many games the season ends with. Uh, they could make a late push if Bayern drops form once again. Because the things that for for the four, top fourteen right now, Bayern Munich with fifty five points, mm-hmm. Dortmund four points back, um, Leipzig was fifty, Munich um, glad back forty nine. So anything can happen because this six point swing could be very you know very crucial mm-hmm. for this year championship, and it is very it is also kind of a Bayern tradition to start to to start the season very slowly and then mm-hmm. pick it back up. And yeah, you know, with a very slow start to the season, we have seen the departure one of the big, one of the biggest you know uh, manager departure this season, Nico Kovac, who left Bayern. That was that was really surprising because he was he just coached for more than a year with the team, just coming you know coming from Backford after a very successful stint with Eintracht uh, uh, Frankfurt, winning the uh, winning the um, Poker Cup as well. And also beat also actually beating Bayern in the process of getting the Poker Cup, so you know what 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 do you think uh, Nico Kovac kind of failed at um, at Bayern Munich because you know there were signs there were signs of things cracking uh, even since last season. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think what happened was he Byron wasn't as so with Byron you have a, a an assumption of dominance. You expect them to come into the game and just destroy any team. They buy all of the best players in the Bundesliga. They make <laughs> they make sure of it, um, and they they have a very established identity with the four two three one formation um, and trying. I, basically, with how much money they spent uh, on players like Lucas Hernandez, Benjamin Pavard, um, uh, continuing on with Tolisso, um, I think they just expect a lot more dominance, and Kovac wasn't ready to meet the demands and the expectations of both the fans and the owners, or the owner. Um, it, it, it's a tough situation because it's, it's not like they've been terrible. Um, they've been very solid. Yeah, they've been very solid. Uh, and they've convinced in the Champions League thus far. Um, but it's just, I don't know. There's a, there's, a, there's a level of dominance they expect that sometimes feels unreachable given the way they've structured the team. But uh, I'm not sure. I, I feel really bad for him because... He's uh, a great coach. Yeah, he's a great coach, and he wasn't doing a terrible job, but it just like, he, he the, wasn't good enough for their standards. Yeah, and like just like, wasn't the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it is is something we've seen a lot in the in the top teams. <laughs> if you don't if you don't perform well, we'll fire you immediately. Well, well, given that they said that with mutual consent in both ways, most likely Nico Kovac actually got fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a very standard norm and. Any other clubs, if you don't perform, you'll get dropped. That happened a lot with, Ma- with Manchester City. If you don't bring a title in, in two years, you'll get dropped. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very interesting season. And um, a, a name that I just spoke in, in top four, RB Leipzig. Um, a very controversial fi- figure in the uh, in the German football community. Um, so in, in German football, ownership tends to work like this. 51% of the team must owns by the fans or the supporters of the team while 49, while 49 other percent will be controlled by investors. Well, seemingly RB Leipzig drew the ire of a lot of fans and teams in the Bundesliga for kind of seemingly broken the, their traditions. Um, but the things that RB Leipzig rise has been absolutely crazy. They climb at least four or five tiers of German football in like six seasons. Mm-hmm. And they kind of also pioneering um, a bit of uh, of you know of young of young talents of in German football, especially one Timo Werner. Um, what do you see in in RB Leipzig that other people doesn't see it? Well, in RB Leipzig, I see a consistency, a path of consistency that is a bit surprising in a team that was in the German. Uh, fourth division like five years ago six years ago apologies but like it's and not only that it's a team that's built club figureheads like Timo Werner up from the ground and so they've they've used a lot of players that other teams didn't consider world class a lot of players that other teams didn't um, consider starting material like uh, Nkuku from uh, PSG who's now, I think he's the leading assister in Bundesliga, if not one of the top assisters in Bundesliga. And he's been terrific this season. You know, he could be in the Bundesliga team of the year, in my opinion. Um, 
and what we've seen, it's it's really strange because at PSG he wasn't even a player worth noting for the starting lineup. He had some good performances, but with Lip with uh, RB Lipsig, like it's just it's interesting to see how they've made the most out of these players. Their training programs must be fantastic. Um, Timo Werner looks like a, a world-class player. I'm wondering if he leaves this summer, if he goes somewhere else. Um, because I, I don't, while they've been fantastic, I don't see them winning as a Champions League winning team. But, Even, the, but like while they're performing in the Champions League currently, I mean, they've, they've throttled Spurs. But I just, I, I think he'd look for a more long-term established club. Um, but then again, you know, you can never know. Because RB Lipsick could become that yeah. uh, at their current rate. And also, just really interesting how, you know, how Leipzig, you know, finds the rare gem that fits them all together. They don't really buy, you know, rare big names or anything mm-hmm. in German football. A lot, a lot of these players in, you know, in Leipzig are actually youth players mm-hmm. that they brought up. It, it, and it just really shows how, you know, how much success, how much success, you know, you can have with, you know, a, a bunch of quality players who have, you know, grow up playing together and get a chemistry done. And, like, if you got all the pieces together, you might get a good run. We have seen Leipzig, you know, coming really close to the title at times. Got a really strong start to see them kind of start fading away. But it also kind of understanding that they're a very young team. Mm-hmm. And they just need some, some of those, you know, Sean um, some of those experience to get to know, like, okay, this is how we're going to win the league. And, you know, with, with competition like the Champions League, they will learn more and more coming in the future. And that could draw a lot of the irony about Munich, who seems to be probably the most traditional club in mm-hmm. Bundesliga to the most untraditional club of Bundesliga clashing together so yeah um uh Bush and Dortmund were um very decent season as well four points behind Bayern Munich um Erling Haaland absolutely changed the whole narrative of the season and with him like Bayern can't just say you know you know start stretching back because they need to really look behind because this kid is basically blowing def- defense away mm-hmm. every single game. And, you know, with Jaden Sancho as, you know, as a great midfielder, great attacking midfielder as well. Um, and also patterning with him, Marco Royce, not surprising. Really, really solid team this season. Um, they have, you know, the, the top five players with assists this season in Bundesliga are from Dortmund as well. So we can see how much progress they have. And it seems to build so much upon the the foundation of, of the young core. Mm-hmm. So it's also very interesting to see. And we could have another, another version of uh, Club 2.0 if they actually do if they actually finish the season strong. Yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, their young core is fantastic. Thorgan Hazard has also been performing terrifically. A great buy. A fantastic buy. Julian Brandt hasn't been as good as expected, but he's been a solid player who can fill in many roles. He's kind of that Swiss Army knife for them. Uh, and then Witzel has been a world-class defensive midfielder for them. He's he's put in some fantastic performances and he's shown great consistency. Uh, their defense, you know, um, they have guys like uh, Pajek, who's been around Masek. for a while, but then they have Akimi on the wing, who he's had a fantastic season as well, and he's shown. He's kind of shown, you know, Madrid that they just need to be patient with some of these players. That they just they step off because um, he's he's been in terrific form and he's kind of 
that explosive player that Madrid hasn't had on the wings as much recently. So, yeah, um, you know, Dortmund's a team for the future, depending on if they can keep those pieces, because guys like Jadon Sancho are always, you know, there's word of them being on the outs. Just Erling hoping Holland, that, yeah. uh, Hakimi, it's just keeping those players is going to be the issue for them, similar to Monaco a few years back. It just seems, yeah, Dortmund's like a bit of a playground for Bayern Munich because they have bought so much Dortmund players for the past few years. Two very, very large, large signings that actually came out to Dortmund after that. Uh, Mario Goza and, uh, Mat- and Mats Hummels as well. Both, and also, if you know this name, both are absolutely integral part to the uh, 2014 Germany mm-hmm. uh, World Cup winning efforts. Um, so, as we feel with it just a few, few months ago, now, the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Very, very exciting Champions League season. Um, big, I think biggest shock, Liverpool are out. Yes, I, I don't think many were expecting it, but if it were to happen this early, Atletico would be the team to do it. Um, just because defensively they're just, once, once they get a goal, it's almost impossible to score against an Atletico team. Uh, they're very consistent in defense, they're very solid, and, you know, the three goals in the second leg was... Uh, a bit unexpected, but they uh, they definitely showed their grit in extra time and proved that they should be on this stage right now. Um, yeah, um, as we talk about RB Leipzig thrashing um, Tottenham Hotspur, well, I don't see it as too much surprising since, you know, Tottenham is on the back foot of a really, really bad, bad season. Yeah, they're so, kind of in a transitional period. Mm-hmm. Just like after like reaching the final last year, surprisingly reaching the final, I I won't say they deserve a hundred percent of reaching the final last season. Mm-hmm. I would say that was more of Ajax, but however, not su- not too surprising. Um, so other matchup which is rather interesting, um, Atalanta thrashing Valencia as well. Yeah, that is, we have talked about Atalanta at the start at the start of this podcast and. Just their rise this season. This is probably one of the best, I, I would say, underdog performance in the Champions League for a while. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people who don't watch Serie A are surprised by how fantastic they are, but everyone who watches Serie A knows Gasparini is a fantastic coach. And um, to get the, the results out of these players, especially Ilicic, who's had a terrific season, um, it's, it's, it's great to see them finally get the recognition in the Champions League. Eight, eight goals in the first leg is... Uh, something you can't just look past. Eight goals um, against a team like Valencia, it's uh, it's a bit of a statement. You know, we're here and we're gonna we're gonna give it everything we got. Um, so Dortmund gave PSG a run for their money. Mm-hmm. That was such a close matchup. Erling Haaland first leg was absolutely fantastic, but yeah, second leg PSG managed to pull, just pull through. It just, it also I. It just seems like PSG really needs, you know, a kick on their back. Because, mm. you know, they have a star-set, star-set lineup. But I do think that the league, you know, playing in league on is a bit of a problem for PSG. Because they just don't have that competition. Um, I don't think playing in Liga is the problem. I think mm. it attributes to the problem, though, and that's the ego of PSG. But PSG has very large maturity problems, as we saw by the mocking of Holland. As we saw last year with, you know, their dealing of the Man United, yeah, uh, the Man United stand. Um, 
you know, they just, they're a team who, they have all the talent in the world, they go to Liga, they dominate, and they carry their egos instead of coming in with a more humble, uh, yeah, more grounded approach. And so I think that's something that PSG needs to sort out. Um, because they, they, they have a club, they have a team right now with Idrissa Ganage, uh in the midfield. Marquinhos has been playing as a midfielder as well, and he's been fantastic there. Uh, Marco Verratti, uh, obviously Mbappe, Neymar, um, and then players like um, Kempembe, Marqui- or, uh, Thiago Silva in defense. Like Icardi make a great impact yeah, as well. Yeah, Icardi's came in and given them 20 goals in uh, this season, which, I mean, wasn't anything anyone was expecting. With Cavani still there, Cavani has been put into a more reserved role. Um, it's just, and Munez had a fantastic season as well. It's just, you know, having the maturity to play these games and uh, and take these games more seriously um, and uh, compete harder because, I don't know, a lot of times it seems like PSG's losses are just due to effort and ego to me. So, yeah. Uh we yeah so the round sixteen we finished a few matchups before the coronavirus forced to shut down, but if you know if everything comes back up, who you think is gonna win because this this could be one of the most unexpected years in Champions League. Um, um obviously Man City looks looking very solid and they and they're trying to fight for it because this is their last season for their uh for their before the ban mm-hmm. for the two year Champions League ban so this is all or nothing. Yeah, imagine how much of a story it would be for a team to win the Champions League and then be banned the next year. I, I don't think that's anything we've had um, in football before. Uh, so that would be an interesting We came close that with Marseille. Yeah. We came close to that. But, yeah, it just feels real weird to see. Okay, you want, you want a thing. Okay, now get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it'd be a good send-off, and I think if that were to be the case, then they would definitely have a lot of players leave because they're like, we just won the Champions League here. And then screw it. And, you know, so now we can go somewhere else and compete. We've kind of done what no one expected out of a Man City team uh, probably five years ago. Um, But it all comes down to if they can beat Madrid in the second leg because Madrid's one of those teams, man. They're just... Very, really inconsistent. Really inconsistent, but they're the type of team that can pull out a 2-0 result in the second leg. Yeah. And uh, depending on the play of someone like Sergio Ramos, uh, someone like Benzema, guys who you know have very impactful, impactful games, but sometimes they disappear every once in a while. Um, also, yeah, Juventus losing one 0 to Lyon, oh yeah. one to Lyon in first leg. I think this was a bit predictable. Um, Since what happened in Syria kind of reflects to yeah. the Champions League. Yeah. And also just because Lyon's a team where they're they're very attack focused and they have some fantastic attackers, um, and their midfield is very underrated in my opinion. Uh, but Juve's defensively, like the goal they conceded, it's um, just woeful. Yeah, it's it's you know the kind of stuff we come to expect. And fortunately, they'll have Chiellini back when we do recommence with the Champions League season. So I do think they'll pull out the result. With him in defense, they'll be able to focus more on attack. Ronaldo can be Ronaldo and just stay. And, um, yeah, I think the midfielders will have less pressure on them. Uh, so, yeah, I think once Chiellini's back, depending on who he plays with, whether it's Delit or Bonucci, that's to be seen. But um, I think they'll pull out that result. It'll be very – it'll be more – they'll make it tougher than 
you'd like to think mm. about. So, now from one European competition to another European competition, the Euro 2020. The thing that everyone basically was hoping for <laughs> to happen this summer in the soccer world. Um, and also, a probably one of, one of probably mo the most ambitious ever tournament we ever have. Mm -hmm. Just, a, you know, just you know, a whole bunch of European countries decide to, you know, to, to have the stadium being hosted for the Euros. Um, also, a very interesting qualification process, which we will touch in the Nations League a bit later. But yeah, Euro 2020 was supposed to happen this summer. Now being proposed to push back to next year, so so to make room for you know for uh, for other countries for other countries to deal to dealing with the response of the things that is happening right now, and also to other leagues which could you know make you know make them have room to you know finish the season, but very interestingly, um, um, a lot of different names, but now we now uh, so we are talking about a bit of a group stage, and see you know how. Each gonna impact. So Group A, uh, Turkey, Italy, Wales, and Switzerland. I will say, Italy and Wales could easily get the two spots, mm -hmm. but um, Turkey could be a right interesting, uh, right interesting pick for uh, you know to fight for Italy and Wales as well. Um, yeah, I think Switzerland is one of those teams where they can pull a surprise or two. They can they can pull some serious surprises because they've had a lot of players this year, who for their club teams have been performing fantastically, um, like Zakaria for Munchen Gladbach. He's been uh, the midfield stalwart for them, um, and then you got have older guys like Shakiri, um, uh, Mbolo, and uh, uh, Lenier, who's also on Munchen Gladbach as the right back, and so uh, Jan Sommer, the goalkeeper, also Munchen Gladbach. And so, like, the, you see kind of Switzerland looks like a team that they could they could pull out some results and surprise people. Um, Italy, through the qualifications, walked through. Walked through. Kate walk. Yeah. Uh, they looked fantastic. They put up a fantastic number of points. The only question mark becomes, can Immobile perform when it comes to big games? Because he's the he's been the guy to disappear in those kinds. And there's also a big redemption for them after missing the 2018 World Cup as well. And yes. they need this. They need this to say, we are back on the map. You can't count Italy out. Yeah, because the story with Italy has been they have everything but a striker who can they can rely on. And um, now, they have the generation. Wingers, they have the midfielders. They just need those goals. Um, right. Yeah. Second group. Denmark, Finland, Belgium, Russia. Hmm. So... So we have three teams that actually performed really decent in the last World Cup. Mm -hmm. uh, both Denmark, Russia, put on a very good show. Uh, Belgium um, finished third uh, in the World Cup and could be uh, obviously top the group for Group B. Uh, second, the, the fight for second place most probably is going to be either Russia or Denmark. Um, but I will I would lean a bit more to Denmark. I'll say because they looks more a bit a bit more solid. Um, I would say Russia could Russia could be a good contender, but however, I would say the twenty eighteen World Cup performance was good on them because firstly they played at home. Yeah. So there there were a lot of pressure. Putin, you know, Putin is watching you as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, just be careful with that. Um, group C, uh, the Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria, and one of the playoff winners easily is going to be the Netherlands. They have been performing really well in the Nations League. In the Nations League, um, they are seemingly picking back up after the whole colossal collapse and uh, during the 2018 World Cup qualification as well. 
Um, Austria, Austria and Ukraine could be interesting for a fight for second place. Yeah, uh, as Austria is one of those teams, they have a few world class players and then a lot of you know very, very average, average players. One. And it's kind of the same with Ukraine, where they have a lot of players on the up and up, like uh, Molinovsky from Atalanta. He's a, a midfielder in the Serie A who he's looked terrific. Uh, he can do a lot for a team. Um, but yeah. It, that that'll be interesting. That'll become just who has the better tactics coming into the matches. So Group D now here's the fun part. So it's time to begin. <laughs> England, Croatia, Czech Republic, and one of the playoff winners. Uh, um, first spot absolutely is uh, it's gonna be a fight between England, Croatia, and there's also yes, um, big England is on the back foot. They have a great World Cup, and they need to build on this foundation. Yeah, but because. This is the foundation they can go in the future, and this the team is be, so young. They are so, so young, young, and they have so much potential. But now facing, you know, the World Cup's runner-up Croatia, who ousted them in the semi-finals last year, mm-hmm. this could be a very good, a very, you know, a very interesting. Uh, it could be a very interesting fight for the first place between two teams. Mm-hmm. It, uh, in I, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Luka Modric can, you know, carry Croatia once again because they relied on him heavily and Rakitic in the midfield. Um, and I'm wondering, will they look kind of to switch and more so rely on younger presences? Because it's it's a it's a tale of two different teams. Croatia is a very aging team, where they're relying on guys like Lovren, uh, Modric, Rakitic, Perisic, who are all you know up there in age. Um, and then England, who's relying on guys like Jaden Sancho, um, Harry Maguire, Rashford. Rashford um, Harry Kane as well. Yeah, Harry Kane, Deli Ali. Um, all of these guys are a bit younger. Harry Kane's in the middle, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's James Madison. Uh, so it'll uh, it'll be interesting uh, to see how England's gonna perform on the back of a very, I would say, very successful World Cup campaign. Yeah, better than a lot better than expected. They almost took it on. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly, but at least they actually <laughs> won the penalty. They actually won the penalties probably for the first time. Yeah, they're a team you don't want to see at a penalty shootout. Now they, they've drilled themselves into it. So Group E of Spain, Sweden, Poland, and one of the playoff winners. Really, really interesting group. Um, uh, these three teams is probably obviously a very closely contested group. Yeah, I'd say, you know, Spain had the most disappointing World Cup performance. Yes. of all the teams. Um, so they have a lot to prove. Uh, and I think Poland's one of those teams who could. You know, grab a few results and put Spain in an but, unwanting position. They could, uh, yeah. they could, they could win the group sneakily if Spain doesn't come and perform uh, in a similar way they they flopped in the World Cup. But Sweden, very very interesting though. They they will want a surprise out <laughs> out during the World Cup, which kind of irritates me a bit. <laughs> um, but they you know, and this is the team with Zlatan as well. Zlatan has now walked out of international football. And they seem to have a pretty good foundation for what's to come. Um, their performance uh, in the World Cup was surprising as well. No one thought that no one thought they're gonna make it to out of the group, but seemingly they managed to sneak through and actually claim first spot. If I'm not wrong, mm. um, Poland, yeah. But to be honest, a bit too much of Lewandowski. <laughs> um, so Group F, the last group, which we can say pre F up as well. Yeah, Since the hardest group to the win. Group, in. <laughs> the group of death. Um, so, Portugal, France, Germany, and one of the playoff winners, 
this is the group everyone has been talking about. Forget the playoff winners because we all know they are <laughs> they are just a throwaway mm-hmm. uh, for the three other teams. But yes, the three probably three of the biggest team uh, in the, in the European soccer. I would European say football. at the moment they are the three biggest in European football, and with the exception of maybe Belgium. Yeah, and also. This is the three teams that could actually lift the trophy at the end in mm-hmm. Germany. Germany on the back foot of a very disastrous uh, <laughs> World Cup campaign. A big German fan. It was disastrous. But they seem to do a lot of tinkering. Jochen Lowe finally finds probably the solution. A shot, a shot in the arm. Mm-hmm. For the, you know, rebuilding the whole team again. So they have so much talent, but they can fit every, everyone in. Because there was like a bunch of you know a uh, very veteran player, successful veteran player that had very successful time in the World Cup, and a lot of young players as well. They seem to go with a bit of more of a veteran route back mm-hmm. in the World Cup, failed spectacularly. So with the new group, we have seen flash of brilliance from them. Um, Timo Timo Werner, Julian Brandt has been absolutely um, consistent. Leon Goretzka as well. Uh, Schnabry. Um, and um, yeah, it's it feels like, and also Germ- Germany, like any other team, needs to prove themselves back again mm-hmm. because not only they have a very disastrous um, World Cup, they have a very disastrous Nations League, finishing eleventh out of twelve team in League A. That is unacceptable in any way for a German team mm-hmm. to be. Um, France and Portugal, France, reigning World Cup champion. Seems to be, uh, seems to kind of have a bit of a World Cup hangover after that, I would say. Um, I mean, I get it's just I feel like their their style of play makes it difficult for them to really uh, show a dominance you'd expect from a World Cup team. They're yeah. very <laughs> reserved in their play style. Um, it's basically everyone sit back and then let Mbappe run behind, let Griezmann run around a little bit, and we have um, Giroud there just yeah. one row. Um, but yeah, with I'm I'm wondering will France change their approach based on the group they're in, because in the World Cup when we saw them play against Argentina, we saw they had to adjust specifically because of Lionel Messi, um, and now going up against players like Cristiano Ronaldo, like Timo Werner, uh, Serge Gnabry, these these guys who like to run in behind, these guys who like to create the fast attacks. I'm wondering will they change their play style from this reserved four at the back who doesn't budge and uh, two defensive midfielders to a more attacking style because I don't think sitting back and absorbing the pressure of teams like Germany and Portugal is going to turn out very well for them. The counterattack approach worked very well against Belgium because Belgium's center backs are aging and not as quick their wing backs yeah. are always pressed too far forward it's a bit easier to absorb that pressure but i don't think they can do that with teams who can actually defend as well as uh, portugal or germany and also france really need to pay back as well because they lost euro 2016 mm-hmm. at home to yes portugal mm-hmm. in the final in the extra time as well which is absolutely painful for a team which is who we're going to talk about next. Portugal, back foot of winning arrow, and the Nations League as well. Um, yeah, so can Cristiano Ronaldo, can, can they repeat? Something that Lionel Messi hasn't won yet in an in international tournament. 
Um, Ronaldo. Everyone seems to say Ronaldo can't carry them with too much, but they they are a team with also a lot of potential as well. A lot of young talents on the wings. Mm-hmm. So the partnership with Joao Felix could be really really, really make the difference. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a group that we will have we will have no idea what's gonna happen. Yeah, and I think it's a group that will show like kind of who who some of the I think this will demonstrate very much who the players are to look forward to in the next four to five years because of specifically just how the groups are arranged. You know, if Italy if they can't get a performance out of their strikers in a group with Turkey, Wales, and Switzerland, then I think that makes a statement that they need someone to come up. Like uh, Castro Billy from Fiorentina or something, uh, they they need and uh, Nicolo Zaniolo, who unfortunately got injured, but I think this postponement will allow him to play in the Euros, mm-hmm. um, and it'll show like where these teams need to be looking, and where the future of these countries are because you know if you look at Portugal, France, Germany, you know, are Serge Gnabry and Timo Werner the future of the attack for Germany? We'll find out because this is going to be the group to test it. Um, is France's approach in defense going to be a resilient one? Because they've got some of the best defenders in the world. Baran, Titi, Longley, Laporte. Like, they have, they can choose. And so it's just, this will this will let us figure out what will be that duo going forward. And then for Portugal, you know, Bernardo Silva's proving himself to be one of the best players mm-hmm. in the world. Bruno Fernandes is on the upswing with Man United. Yeah. And so Joao Felix is, you know, kind of coming into his own for the national team. And so this will show us, you know, is this going to be one of those world-class Portugal teams now that we haven't seen before? Because originally they were very reliant on Ronaldo. It was just Ronaldo. Ronaldo was the guy. And now we kind of have the supporting cast we haven't seen yet. Remember, 2016 Euro. Portugal passed the group stage by the skin of their teeth. Mm-hmm. By the skin of their teeth. There were moments during the game with Hungary that they were down and they were seemingly out of the competition. Mm-hmm. So, anything can happen. So we have to wait until 2021 to see yeah. what happened. Um, but, so, last question. Who's your pick to be, you know, uh, 2021 winner of the I year? Mean, I'd love to say Italy, but uh, based on, you know, their performance they headed in and, uh, you know, their defensive setup, their midfield is fantastic. Uh, and this extra time is also something we have to mention. Like, this gives all these players more time to grow and mature. Mm-hmm. If it really gets moved to next summer, that's a whole other year of football that these guys are maturing, growing. And so I think, you know, Italy could be, you know, they could push for it, in my opinion, even though a lot of people won't take that seriously. I, I believe they can. But my pick would probably be France once again to France. win back-to-back um national team comp- uh, competitions because they're just so solid at every position. They yeah. have like eight guys in each position that could play at a top level for them. Um, I will, I still modestly say Germany again, if they can. But um, if not Germany, Germany, I do see that they can make it pretty close to the finals, maybe semi-finals again, because they're a team that tend to advance really far to the end of the competition. Mm-hmm. But uh, with a very young team, uh, that you know they they are experimenting with a very young core once again, anything can happen. Uh, but my pick could be something a bit out of the ordinary. Um, I will say the Netherlands could no. be could be a very interesting pick, but France will be the t- 
you know, the top dog of the competition competition mm-hmm. again. Portugal could pull some surprises as well. Not surprises, I think they'll pull into their own. Yeah, I also think it's interesting because Portugal, France, Germany, they could have been the three frontrunners if you chose the competition without knowing the groups. Yeah. But since they're in the same group, they might beat each other up and wear each other down for getting out of the group. And, and so other I was wondering, teams, yeah. will they be able to perform at the same level once they finish the group? That would be a big question. So, the last thing we're going to talk about, Nations League. Very interesting concept of UEFA to replace the, uh, the former friendly format that we have. Um, and during the first, and you know, sparks a lot of negative, you know, a, ne- a lot of negative, you know, negative reaction from the fans. Mm-hmm. But interesting first season, um, Portugal managed to pull through once again and win the league. So, what what do you think about that concept? Because this also changed the way how uh, the Euros qualification works at the same time. Yeah. Um you know, Nations League's interesting. Uh, I'm all, I'm never gonna p- complain about more football, uh, <laughs> especially you know at least giving it some meaning. You know, because a lot of times there's just so many friendlies littered throughout the year that you just like, what's the point in watching? It doesn't really mean anything, mm-hmm. um, other than you know more wins for your team in their the history books. Um, but you know, I like it as a concept. Um, I don't think it should be as related to the Euros, but, you know, that's the decision they def- decided to go with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any, any issues with it. But, yeah, more football, and there's a bit more of a third tier of international competition now. Mm-hmm. A very interesting concept that we'll see um, how it's going to be in the future. But, yeah, I, I do think this could be very interesting. It gives the team, um, you, know, more, you know, more to fight for, more silverware to fight for. It it just feels a bit uh, unfortunate that we won't see because friendlies used tend to be you know the place that a lot of young talents are being tested, being discovered. Mm-hmm. But now like now you push them right into the cage and we'll see what happened. Mm-hmm. But the league system is right interesting and we'll see what happened. Portugal winning the first one, um, I would say down to a bit of different factors coming in as well. France and Backford that they just won the World Cup and they're a bit went up, you know they're a bit went tired. Netherlands did a hell of a job, um, surprising a lot of many at the same time, but yeah, um, I will see. I will see. We'll see how the UEFA's deal with this in the future. Um, and um, interestingly, um, nasty we can talk about the World Cup. There were plans to open up the World Cup for forty-eight teams, but that plan seemingly got cancelled. Mm-hmm. What do you think about it? <laughs> um. I I don't think letting more teams in will make it, you know, will benefit anyone in any way. Uh, I I think it'll just it'll add a bit more clutter, um, make it more difficult for. I mean, it'd be nice for other nations, fans of other nations, to get to watch their teams in the World Cup setting. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, if you don't qualify, then. Um, yeah. yeah, I just, you know, I think more of the issue is where the World Cup is set to be located. Oh, it's no. Very controversial. Yeah. I don't know why this decision was made. Actually, I do know why. It was money. Um, set bladder. There's no other reason. Uh, the The climate isn't fit for a World Cup. The And then the circumstances and surrounding the unpaid work is... It's yeah. just very shady. Yeah, very, very shady. And if you're FIFA, I don't know how you make this decision knowing... Knowing how shady it is, but because we all know how much corruption FIFA tends to, yeah, they've already they've already been you know routed for corruption so many times, though. Why not add to it with this Um, Qatar? 
Yeah. A place where, you know, um, football is basically physically unplayable. And all, and also, um, basically, like, I remember watching a piece from John Oliver said, um, like, seriously, Qatar, the 2022 Qatar World Cup could be the deadliest mi mi you know, Middle Eastern uh, construction since the pyramids, mm -hmm. <laughs> basically. Just issue FIFA warnings that a, sta a stadium is being planted in your area, evacuate immediately. Mm -hmm. But we will see how things move forward. But, you know, FIFA, do, you know, in the past few years have made some good strides. Um, you know, start changing their management. Finally, after Sepp Blatter, to the area of so many people who are fans of the game. So, yeah, uh, changes starting to happen, but we'll see how much it's going to be. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for tuning in to this a very long two-part episode of uh, On the Sideline. My name is Robert Nguyen. And we will see you next time. Thank you very much.